Well, good evening, everybody. My name's Clark, and uh, I get to say that Ohio State won today. So that's pretty cool, right? Give it up for the Buckeyes. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, my name is Clark, and I help uh, lead our uh, young adult ministry, New Perspective. Uh, Sarah Beth was talking about that Christmas party. So if you do know anybody that is 18 to 20, uh, love to have them out. There's going to be uh, all kinds of good stuff, free food and uh, entertainment, um, all kinds of stuff going on. So um, I also help lead and oversee our life groups uh, here with Pastor Tony, and uh, it's a blast. I love doing that. Um, And I'm really excited because we're concluding a a series that we've been in the past couple weeks called My Get To Life. And so uh, if you've been here locked in, kind of tracking with us the last couple weeks, uh, basically what we've been uh, saying is this. Here's kind of the premise of the whole series that uh, a lot of times in life, you know, uh, if if you're, you know, in normal conversation, you talk to somebody and you ask them, hey, how you you been doing lately? Uh, A lot of times the response is busy, Right. So busy because we have these uh, jam-packed calendars with all this stuff. And so uh, we usually kind of subscribe to one of these two different uh, lines of thinking. Uh, the first one, we, we might say, you know, I'm really busy and there's a lot of, lot, of, uh, a lot of privileges in my life that I get to do. You know, it, things are going really good. And uh, you kind of view life through that, that perspective and you see things are, things are good. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to do the stuff I get to do. The other end of the spectrum, uh, we've been saying that... Um, other, other times you can subscribe to this other line of thinking, and uh, it can oftentimes look like this. You know, someone will ask you, like, how are things going? And uh, you could say, like, uh, things, things are really busy, and I have a lot of obligations <laughs> that I have to do. And so we've been kind of uh, having fun with that, uh, that, that thought a little bit and uh, kind of teasing that out the past uh, few weeks. And so, um, again, if, you, if you're just now locking in with us, I would encourage you to go uh, onto our website at uh, medinaeast.graceohio.org, and you can listen to all the past uh, messages on there, and you could uh, also subscribe to our podcast as well and uh, get all caught up. So I encourage you to do that um, to, uh, today. Tonight, what I'd like to do is uh, conclude this conversation uh, together, uh, con- continue this conversation as well as conclude it. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Proverbs uh, chapter 4. Uh, if you want to use those black Bibles that are in the, in the chairs that you're sitting in, uh, it's going to be on page 440. And uh, you can go ahead and uh, take one of these. We always say, if you don't have a Bible, you can just take one of ours. And uh, we love to just make that a gift from us to you. You can go ahead and uh, write your name on the inside there, and we'd love to just give that to you. And if you're more of a digital person, if you want to uh, you know, go electronic, you can go to, our, uh, uh, go to the app store and just search uh, Grace Ohio, and you can get the Grace Church app, and you can get to today's passage of study that way as well. So however you get there, I uh, just want to encourage you to get to Proverbs uh, chapter 4. And you can go ahead and just uh, kind of lay that in your lap, because what I'd like to do is uh, just want to pray for us as we conclude this uh, conversation together. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you for uh, every single person that came out here tonight. Uh, Lord, regardless of where we're at, whether we're uh, coming here for the first time and kind of investigating you a little bit, or whether we've been coming a really long time, uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just lead us and guide us in this conversation, and uh, I pray that you just uh, speak to us through your word uh, this evening. I just want to pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, about springtime of this year, uh, me and my cousin Alex, um, we decided we want to go on a, on a trip to Hawaii, and uh, this was like a once-in-a-lifetime trip. <clears throat> I graduated college uh, around uh, spring of this year, and so uh, my mom uh, kind of blessed me in a huge way and uh, 
helped kind of fund me to go to Hawaii <laughs> with my cousin for like a whole like eight days. <laughs> and so we ended up uh, kind of having like a really, really good time. But um, one, of the, one of the things that's really cool about the island that we went to, uh, it's called Kauai. I didn't really know anything about Hawaii until I, I went there, started researching it. But uh, the island we went to is called uh, Kauai, and um, it's, it's really uh, pretty fascinating. They call it the Garden Island because uh, there's a lot of, like, vegetation and, and uh, just... Um, it's just, you know, really green, and there's a lot of plants. So they call it the Garden Island, and there's more hiking trails, and there's more, uh, like, beach areas than any other island. And we were really uh, excited about this uh, for one particular reason, because we decided we wanted to hike this trail. And uh, I don't know if you guys are into hiking or not, but I really love to do that kind of stuff. And so we went on this uh, trail. It's called the Kalalau Trail. Say that five times fast. Uh, it's 11 miles long, and so... Um, I'll throw a picture up on the screen so you can see it. Uh, this kind of give you a window to where we went. And the picture really doesn't do it justice, of course, like, like any other thing. You know, it's just you kind of got to be there to see how, how remarkable and how, how beautiful it really is and just kind of soak it in. But uh, for us, like, uh, we are really excited to, to go on this, on this trail. And at the end of the 11 miles, we actually decided we wanted to go camping overnight. And so we uh, uh, went to... Uh, the store real quick and got all of our, you know, supplies. We just bought everything from like, uh, you know, uh, peanut butter and flour tortillas to marshmallow, you know, fluff to stuff that we could, you know, eat in the woods overnight. And so we got all this stuff and, uh, we headed on their trail. We had our sleeping bags, our tent, and uh, we had everything. We're really excited, and we're like, dude, we're in Hawaii. We're going to go on this trail. We're going to go camping, and so we're really pumped up, and uh, we start heading down this trail, and uh, a mile or two in, we look over in the ocean, and we see humpback whales, like, just jumping out of the water, and we're just like, oh my goodness, like, like, there's whales, you know? When you live in northeast Ohio, like, you don't see that stuff. You're just like, oh my goodness, like, Let's take pictures of this. So we, you know, had our camera equipment. We were taking pictures of it on our phones. And he's got his GoPro camera. And we're just, we're just having a blast, right? And uh, we keep going down a little bit further. And then, and then we notice that there's bottlenose dolphin. We're just like, wow, like, this is, this is incredible. And we head down a little bit further. And we see uh, monk seals. I don't know why they're called monk seals, but that's what they are. And then we saw manta ray, and we saw sea turtles. It's just, I'm not making this up, like, literally. It's, it's so gorgeous. It's so amazing that it's almost borderline cheesy that you, like, see all this stuff. And so it's remarkable. And so we keep heading down this, this trail, okay? And we get to, like, mile marker 5, mile marker 6, mile marker 7, mile marker 8. And we start to get a little bit tired, right? And uh, we're, getting, we're getting a little bit exhausted, and, and our shoulders are starting to hurt a little bit. And our backs are starting to hurt. We're starting to sweat. And uh, you might be thinking, well, Clark, aren't you like 27? Like, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be getting tired yet. But if you do the call-out trail, come talk to me and see how that was, went for you. This was, this, was, this was physically and mentally like, oh, my goodness. We got to about mile marker 8, though. And uh, we, we see, you know, like all that marine life again, right? Like the whale and, like, the sea turtle and all that stuff. And, you know, we see that stuff, and we're just trying to get to our campsite, and, and I see that stuff, and it doesn't, it's not hitting me the same way that it did back at mile marker one and two. I'm seeing that stuff, and I'm just like, who cares? Like, who cares if it's a whale? Like, I could see a whale any day I want to. And the reason I tell you that is because that's how it is a lot of times with, with my get-to life. Like, I'm excited about the gospel, and I'm excited about the story of Jesus and what he's doing in my life and through the lives of the people around me. 
But then what happens is I'll just kind of run out of steam all of a sudden. I'll just kind of run out of gas. And then my heart will start to become hard. And I'll start to get kind of cynical. And my attitude will change. And I'll start to drift. And I'll get really bitter. And I'll start to kind of live under the tyranny of apathy. And I know I'm the only one here that struggles with that, though. But if there is anybody else that, that kind of drifts into that mentality... I know for some of us, maybe, maybe for some of us here tonight, you know, uh, it's, if you're in college, you know, taking your classes, maybe that's something that, that you're really excited about at first, right? And you're like, I get to further my education. I get to earn a degree, and I get to learn organization skills. I get to kind of, you know, become a person of high demand in the career field that I want to go into. But then all of a sudden, that, that drift kind of takes place, right? And we kind of drift into, man, this is not something that's a privilege that I get to do anymore, right? It's a, something, it's an obligation that I have to do. And now I have to study for this exam, right? And now I have to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to be on class, uh, at class on time. Or maybe for some of us, it's, it's a career, right? And we've always longed to get that career that we wanted and to brush shoulders with the people in the professional field that we've always wanted to be in. And when we finally get in that professional uh, work field, it's just, it's just not, after a while, you kind of lose steam, and you kind of lose gas, and then it becomes, man, now I, I have to go to work today, or else, you know, I can't pay for my TV to watch my Gilmore Girls, or, you know, or whatever, Breaking Bad, whatever it is you're into. And, uh, you know, it just becomes this obligation that we have to do. And what happened? We drifted from something that we got to do to something that we now have to do. And that's just kind of how it happens. Maybe, maybe it's Thanksgiving for some of us just recently, you know. You have the family. You get to have your aunt and your uncle and your cousins come, and you just never see them. But now you get to see them, and it's an honor, and it's a privilege because you never get to see them. They're out of town or out of state, you know. Uh, maybe for some out of the country. I don't know. But then there's always the drift that takes place. And then it becomes a half. Now I have to make the green bean casserole. And I have to look up the ingredients on Pinterest because there has to be a green bean casserole at Thanksgiving, right? My friends and family will come and wonder where's the green bean casserole. It's not Thanksgiving without a green bean casserole. And so you see this drift kind of takes place in our lives. And however it manifests or shows up, you know, it, it, it does. And uh, uh, one of the things that I think, I don't know about you, but for me, this shows up a lot. It's uh, uh, with snow, right? (laughs) I have a kind of a cynical attitude towards snow. I'm not a real big fan of snow. I think last weekend I got to see someone uh, in the cafe just really go nuts over snow. It was was awesome. I think uh, they were the only person that was excited to see the blizzard outside. (laughs) And I got to see all your reactions coming out. Everybody had almost the same reaction. They're like, oh, man. And that's kind of how it is for me when I see snow, the first side of a snowflake of the year. I'm like, dang it. Uh, now I have to heat up my car like 10 minutes before I go anywhere. I have to scrape the windshield. I have to shovel my driveway because I don't have a snowblower. <laughs> and so it's, it becomes like a major have to in your life, right? And my guess is some of us might be able to identify with that, um, but think of it this way. This is something I just kind of discovered uh, myself like uh, this past week as I was kind of gearing up for, for concluding this talk. And uh, in uh, January 15th, 1885, uh, there was this guy. His name is Wilson Bentley. And he lived in this farmhouse in Jericho, Vermont. And uh, see that picture of him there? Uh, this guy, he, uh, 
really, really interesting guy. Uh, he uh, was sitting outside of this farmhouse in Jericho, Vermont, with a black cloth in one hand and a turkey feather in the other hand. And uh, what he was doing is he was waiting for a snowflake to fall on this black piece of cloth so that he could uh, put it underneath a microscope. And this microscope was attached to uh, this enormous camera, right? And then at the, at just at the right moment, what he would do, uh, he would get the piece of cloth underneath the microscope, and then he would, like, uh, hold his breath, right? So, um, because even breathing on it could ruin the whole thing. And so, just imagine, he's got the piece of cloth underneath the microscope, he goes to hold his breath, and then he opens the shutter of the camera, and poof! He takes the first photograph of a snowflake in January 15th, 1885. I'll show you a picture of it. And just imagine, like, just the joy and the sense of wonder to be that person, right? Like, you took the first photograph of a snowflake, and now, I mean, you can't even post it on Instagram or Facebook yet. But, hey, man, you took the first photograph of a snowflake. And so the thing, the thing you've got to understand about this guy, Wilson Bentley, is that he really, really, really loved snowflakes. So much to the point that he never moved out of his parents house he never got married and he just spent the next 50 years of his life taking pictures of snowflakes the reason why i tell you that is because i think there's a really valuable lesson that we could learn from this guy wilson bentley and i think it's that you know although he spent a lot of time in the cold his heart never grew cold he never grew uh you know bitter never experienced that type of cynicism and, and bitterness and apathy that a lot of times we can kind of drift into sometimes right in fact, Wilson Bentley, he said this about snowflakes, that they are masterpieces of design. He concluded that no two snowflakes are the same. And so just the sense of joy and the sense of wonder from snowflakes, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? And it's the same stuff that we, you know, scrape off of our car. We're like, I have to shovel this stuff out of my driveway, right? And I'm not trying to say that we should rejoice when it snows. That's not what I'm saying. I just think that it's fascinating to think like he was able to kind of hit pause and, and experience the joy and the wonder that we oftentimes can drift from, right? And so I think for, uh, I think for us, you know, this is something that we, we, we always kind of, uh, at least for me, you know, I don't know, I'm probably not alone in this, but we can, we can struggle with this and we kind of drift and we can kind of uh, fall victim to, to drifting into this half-to mindset like, like, I have to do this. These are obligations in my life. And so we can easily become the person that we don't want to become. And so I think God actually knew this. And I think that that's why it's in his word and he addresses it. So in Proverbs chapter 4, what I really, really want to do, is just want to like uh, zoom in and double click on one verse. Uh, one verse in Proverbs 4 that I believe is just pregnant with meaning. There's just a whole lot of meaning in this verse. And so... Uh, Proverbs 4, page 440, and uh, I think this verse 2 is really kind of the engine that allows us to, to, to cause us to not lose steam and to not kind of run out of gas as we're trying to live out our get-to life. And, and although we won't do this perfectly, I think we can do this increasingly if we listen to what the author of Proverbs 4 tells us. And so, just to give you a little bit of context of, of kind of where this passage uh, goes, this is a father... Uh, uh, pleading with his son. Uh, it's a father's instructions. And what he does is he uses like this uh, body part imagery, which is kind of interesting. And uh, in uh, verse uh, 21, 
he references the eyes, and he says, son, keep your, keep your eyes on the right teaching. Don't let the right teaching go out of your sight. And he says uh, to his son in verse uh, 27, he talks about the feet. He says, son, keep your feet on the right path. Don't, go to, don't veer to the left or to the right, and keep your feet from evil. And then, the, then he tells his son in verse 24, he talks about the mouth and the lips. And he says, keep your mouth and lips away from corrupt speech. And so... We're going to back up, actually, to verse 23, and then notice what the text says in verse 23. It says this, Above all else, guard your, what's the word? Say it with me. Heart. It says, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. And I, I love that verse because of what it doesn't say as well. It doesn't say because... Part of what you do flows from it. He doesn't say half of what you do. He says, everything that you do flows from your heart. And I think that's a really important distinguish to make because the way that we see the word heart is the same way that the Greeks, uh, way back during this time, you know, or uh, first century, would view the word heart. And they would always associate it with emotions. And that's kind of how we are today. We view it as kind of the seat of the emotions. But the way that the, any, any of the authors of the Old or New Testament define heart, they, they always associate it with everything that makes up a person from the way that we think to our words to the way that we feel to the way that we perceive uh, situations, the way that we perceive other people, to the way that we perceive ourselves. Uh, that word heart meant pretty much everything that would uh, make up a person. And I think, I think that what's also fascinating is uh, some of you, you might have this translation. The, Eng, the ESV renders it this way, that, that from it flows the wellspring of life. So just imagine, this is like almost like, saying like your heart is almost like a fountain that's like gushing water. Like everything that makes, makes you comes from, flows from your heart. It's a wellspring of life. Therefore, guard it. Make sure that you're paying close attention to guarding your heart. Because what can happen is that you can, you can short-circuit your ability to live out your get-to life. And it can short-circuit us with things like bitterness and cynicism and apathy. And it can, it can cause us to become the person that we don't want to become. The Bible tells us uh, in Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, verse 9, that the heart is uh, deceitful. Above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so it really begs a good question, like, okay, if I'm supposed to guard this thing, I don't understand this thing. Apparently it's desperately sick. How do I go about doing that? Like, like if I'm told to do this, how do I do it? And, and I'm, not, I'm definitely not an expert on the subject, but I know for me, um, just, just as an example, I'll take a stab at it. Um, back in 2011... I actually had open heart surgery, and I keep this to remind me to take care of myself. And I know that sounds silly because I shouldn't need something to remind me that. Uh, I got this pillow. Uh, A lot of people will go, that's cool they gave you that. And I'm like, yeah, I paid for it. (laughs) If You know, I paid for it, an insurance company paid for it. But I keep it because it's a good reminder. And I thought it would be helpful uh, for today uh, because... You know, when I had heart surgery, the reason I had surgery is because I had an aneurysm. And 
I didn't know anything about the heart before I needed surgery, but basically they said, uh, you have an aneurysm, and it, it's caused from, like, the weakening of, of an, an, a, an aor- artery wall. And so they said what can happen is the aneurysm can burst, and it can bleed into your chest cavity. And so I'm like, yeah, I should probably get that taken care of. And uh, so I got the surgery, and then after the surgery, my cardiologist says, all right, Clark, I need you to do a couple things for me. I need you to diet. I need you to exercise. And I need you to come visit me like once a year for MRIs and, and CT scans and echoes and all that stuff. And I was like, I think I can handle that. And, uh, you know, it's really good to listen to this guy because he's a cardiologist. He knows a thing or two about this. And so, so you know, I think it's uh, I think I think it's really helpful to think about it this way. For for us, the reason I tell you that is because for us spiritually, I think that the, the aneurysms of the spiritual realm is cynicism and bitterness and apathy. And what can happen is that these things want to cause us to, to go into spiritual heart failure. And what happens is that they can our heart can become callous and our heart can become hard. And then what can happen is that we can easily drift and become the person that we don't want to become. And so in the same sense that I would look to my cardiologist and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know better than I do. I'm going to believe you. I think in the same breath, like we almost kind of have to look at God and be like, all right, God, my heart and my life is in your hands and I'm going to listen to you because you know more about what's going on in my life than I do. And so I think that's one way that's what's kind of helpful to think about it is, is viewing it that way that the cynicism and bitterness is almost kind of like the aneurysms of our heart. And what they want to do is they want to, they want to take us out. And there's a way that we can, we can guard our hearts, we could protect our hearts. And I kind of thought of it this way, like if the heart is the wellspring of our life, then, then, then uh, or, or if we're trying to live out our get-to life, then we have to guard the wellspring of our life. And the way to guard the wellspring of our life is to throw our arms around the way, the truth, and the life. And so pursuing God in the midst of our, of our spiritual heart failure is what can, can, can be a helpful, almost like a spiritual remedy, so to speak. Um, I love what the Bible says in uh, James chapter 1, verses 17. I think... I think Another, another thing, practically speaking, is we talked about it last week, but gratitude. Gratitude is, is one of those things that it's, it's hard to, to, to see this through sometimes. But uh, the Bible tells us in, in James chapter 1, 17. Let me just read it to you. It's so good. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I love what James is, is saying in that verse. He's saying that God is unchanging. He's the same God yesterday as he was today, as he will forever be into eternity. And he says something that's interesting to know about God is that every good and perfect gift that we have, we can trace it back to our Heavenly Father. And we know that he's the source of all the good things that we have in our life. All the good things that can position our heart. When we recognize that, we can position our hearts in a way where they won't become callous. And they won't drift. And they won't become cynical. And they won't become apathetic. And I think what's, what's also helpful 
is uh, if you forget everything that, I, that we talk about today, remember this. Uh, here's a quote I want to give you by a guy named uh, James McDonald, and he's a uh, pastor in Chicago. Uh, I love what he says here. You might want to write this down. He says, gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. He says, gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. And I think what uh, James is saying here, not to be confused with the book of James, by the way, I think what he's uh, kind of getting at here is that gratitude really, really matters in terms of our perspective on life. And that the more and more we can pursue the things that we're thankful for, the more that we can become less preoccupied with the things that are going to make us cynical, the things that are going to make us uh, live under the tyranny of apathy. And so I find that uh, to be really, really uh, helpful uh, to focus on the things that God has given me in my life. And so I want to kind of challenge myself as well as the rest of us uh, from now until the end of December um, to, to really to really think about writing down three things you're thankful for every single day. And I, and I know that even when I say that, it's almost too easy, right? And it almost kind of sounds uh, cheesy in a way. Uh, or maybe you could do it in your phone as well. Uh, and, I, and I know if I was hearing this, my natural proclivity would be like, oh, that's easy. I can just be like, you know, my mom, my dad, and my dog, right? And it'd be really easy just to make that list and just check it off. But if you really critically creatively think about it, it could look something like this. I'm try to give you some examples. Like, like one could be, God, I'm thankful that I woke up today, that I get to be a part of your story. Thankful that you put air in my lungs, that I get to wake up, I get to breathe. And God, I'm thankful for that. Another one could be, uh, God, I'm really thankful for laughter. Thank you for the gift of laughter. You know, things have been dark lately. And when I get with my friends and with my family, like, laughter is a really great gift to have, and it's a gift from God. Anything good in our lives, we can trace it back to our Heavenly Father. And, and lastly, I think a gift that we could say thank you to God for could, could just be, you know, our, 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 clo- our clothes, right? Uh, keep, being able to keep the heat on, right? Being able to have a job. Like, that's something, like, super hyper-practical that we could thank God for. We could document that. And really, like, what we're doing is kind of creating a space of worship so that we could recognize God, our Heavenly Father, is the one who provides everything for us. And so I think that could be a really helpful thing to do between now and the end of December. And maybe you could take that list and you could share it with somebody that's in your life group. Or if you're not in a life group, you could join a life group and uh, talk to other people that kind of took that challenge. Um, and, you know, again, if I was sitting here listening to this, I might think to myself, well, I'm not going to do the three-thing challenge uh, I'm kind of at the point now where I can't really guard my heart because, you know, I either need it. I need like a, I need like heart sur- I need like spiritual heart surgery, right? And so I thought of that, and I thought, you know, maybe for some of us, uh, the reason I know this is because I've talked to some of you, and I've been there too, many times, more often than not, more than what you would probably think. Um, for some of us here tonight, maybe we're experiencing a broken heart. Uh, maybe for some of us, there's past relationships or maybe uh, member, family members, just a lot of relational shrapnel in our lives, and uh, things are not good there. And so maybe for some of us, we're carrying with us a broken heart here tonight. And uh, maybe for you, Thanksgiving wasn't that awesome, you know. And maybe there was a lot of 
lot of tension with family or with people in your life. I don't, I don't know. Uh, God does. Uh, maybe for some of us, if we're not carrying a broken heart, maybe for some of us, we're carrying a, a fearful heart. And so there's, uh, we're just kind of being plagued by insecurities and, and anxiety and stress. And for a lot of us, maybe there's some stuff in our past that has been really, really painful. And we don't want that to reoccur. And so we become really overly cautious to not allow that event to take place again. And so we develop a fearful heart. Maybe for some of us in this room here tonight, we have an angry heart. And there's a lot of maybe even some hate in our hearts uh, because of some unresolved um, past relationships or maybe with uh, family members. And I've often been told that, you know, hurting people can hurt people. Uh, you know, if, if you hurt me, my, my natural inclination is to want to hurt somebody else. Not because I want to, it's because I'm hurting too. And, and anger can do that to us. If we, have an ang- if we have an angry heart, it can cause us to become frustrated. And, and that re- relational shrapnel can, can take place that way as well. For some of us, we don't have a broken heart or a fearful heart or an angry heart. Maybe for some of us, we're carrying with us tonight a hopeless heart. And maybe you're past the point where you're at that stage where you're frustrated and you're angry and you're mad. And, and you're, you're past frustration and you're at the point where you're just flat out exhausted. And depression might be really high and irritability might be really high. But energy is just really, really low. And maybe for you, you're at that stage where you might have a hopeless heart here tonight. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so for some of us, we're, we, have a, we have a sick heart tonight because we have a hopeless heart. And uh, for some of us, this is mainly what we're addressing tonight is that maybe for some of us we have a hardened heart. And there's that callousness and there's that apathy and there's that bitterness that has kind of taken place in our life. And we're almost at the point where it's almost like we stop believing. We're almost at the point where... You know, we, we, we don't really think that God could do anything in our lives, that God could do anything in the lives around us, and we're bitter and we're apathetic about it. And then there's a stage that I think is, that, that can go past this one as well, and I have it in my notes, is a numb or a checked out heart. And this is, this is kind of at the, at the stage where, uh, you know, you're, you're almost kind of stuck in an emotional prison in a way, and you're almost kind of, like the pain is unbearable. And you're at that point where you just kind of you just kind of give up, and you just kind of you're 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 numb and you're checked out. And for some of us, you know, yeah, I show up to work and I show up to class or I show up to church even in life group, and I'm there, but I'm not I'm not really there, not spiritually or not mentally. And for some of us, we have a numb or checked out heart. And and if any of you are in the, if you would put yourself or say, yeah, I'm there right now, man, I'm there, I've been there before. I just want to, can I just say this to you? Can I just encourage you tonight? Uh, the Bible tells us in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 5, uh, Jesus, this is after he heals someone of leprosy, uh, a disease, after he heals a man that's paralyzed. Uh, this is uh, after he sits down with sinners and with tax collectors and he starts uh, eating and drinking with them. Um, the Bible tells us that the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law, they went to the people that followed Jesus, to the disciples of Jesus, and they asked them, why does your teacher sit and eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I love what Jesus says. I love the way he responds here. He says this, 
Luke 5.31, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. And all about you, but that's really good news for me. And I don't know if you're there too. My guess is a lot of us can resonate with that. And what that means is that Jesus can mend a broken heart, a fearful heart, an angry heart, a hopeless heart, a hardened heart, or even a numb or a checked out heart. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Jesus is here. Jesus is here to help not the healthy, but the sick who need a doctor. And so Jesus has this gravitational pull towards people who have a, 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 uh, a heart that is, that is broken and fearful and angry and helpless. And the Bible also tells us he addresses it even further. Now, this is the English Standard Version, but this is what the Bible says in John chapter 7, verses 28. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I don't know about you, that's a great place for an amen. Because when I hear that, that promise from God, that promise from Jesus is that he is going to meet me at my point of need, and he's going to help take me where I need to go, and that I'm safe in the arms of my Savior. I'm always assured by Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which reminds me that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so maybe for some of us, we need to say yes to Jesus tonight. Maybe today's, today or tonight is the night that we say yes to Christ, to Jesus Christ. And that we can, we can press hard into the gospel. And we can realize that, you know, yeah, I'm told to guard my heart, but I don't really have that power in me to do it myself. So I need a savior. I need someone that's going to come in, meet me where I'm at, whether I have a broken heart, a fearful heart, an angry, hopeless, numb, or checked out heart. God is going to come meet me right where I'm at. And he's going he's gonna to take my place. And he's going to pay it all. And he's going he's gonna to clothe me in his righteousness. Maybe for some of us who have been following the Lord for a while, or maybe, maybe for you, you know, you've been coming here a while and you're already in a life group. Uh, but maybe for some of us, we're kind of straddling the fence a little bit. And we could be uh, kind of, ah, I'm not sure how Christian I want to be. I would encourage you to, to, to really uh, ponder, you know, Maybe, maybe God wants to renew your heart, you know. Maybe God wants to help revive your heart. And he, can, and he wants to meet you where you're at. And he wants to journey with you. And he wants to help, help, help us to heighten our awareness of our wonder and of the joy that the Lord wants for us. Whether it's through gratitude or whether it's just receiving the grace of God. And when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, there's nothing more powerful, nothing more potent, there's no, there's no clearer message of God's grace than Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is something that we must always press hard into for us to be able to capture the sense of joy and the wonder that God has for us. I want to encourage you as well. We're in this get-to series, and we're trying to figure out, like, practical things that we can, we can recognize as well. Uh, there's a lot of promises in Scripture. There's a lot of things that talks a lot about, you know, what kind of life is unlocked for you when you place your faith 
and your hope in Jesus Christ. And there's so many of them, so many, but um, I just have a few I'd love to share them with you. The uh, Bible tells us, you know, if we put our hope in Christ, Colossians 1.22 says that we get to be blameless and free from accusation. We get to be blameless and free from any accusation when we place our hope in Jesus Christ. That's just amazing. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that we get to be made complete in Christ. What an amazing promise that is. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that when we place our hope in Jesus, that we get to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. No more shrinking back out of fear. No more guilt. No more shame. With Jesus Christ, we get to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, that when we place our faith in Jesus, that we get to be a child of God. Isn't that amazing? We get to be a child of God when we place our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus. That is amazing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible tells us when we put our hope and faith in Jesus, that we get to be clothed in his righteousness. That we get to be clothed in Christ's righteousness, is what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, this is where we get to kind of join God in his mission and what he's doing. The Bible says that we get to be the salt and the light of the world that we get to be the ministers of reconciliation with Jesus, that we get to be on mission with Christ, being a light in a dark place. That is amazing. At this point, I want to kind of ask the band to come up and uh, get settled in. And as they do, uh, I just want you to imagine with me, if you would, imagine what could this look like in your life? What could this look like in your life if you were to, to really consider, like, what, could, what it could look like if, if you were to press really, really hard into maybe not only just these three things from now until the end of December, but, but also to just immersing yourself and just kind of saturating yourself in the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel. What would that look like in your life? And how could that, how could that affect your family? How could that affect the people in your sphere of influence, your neighborhood, your workplace, what kind of mentality would you tend to drift to more if you were to press firmly into the story of Jesus and the gospel? I would encourage you to do that. If you're someone investigating here, I would encourage you to, to come back and, 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 uh, and, and stick around for, for the Christmas series, for that conversation, because it's going to be fun and it's going to be a ride. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you, Lord, that I get to be here with these amazing people. And Father, thank you that they have taken the time to come here with their Saturday night, God. I thank you for every season of life that anyone in this room could be in right now. Father, I know for some of us, we're carrying broken hearts with us here tonight. For some of us, we could be carrying... Hardened hearts, God. For some of us, we could, we could be carrying hopeless hearts, even numb or checked out, God. 
But Father, I know that you want to meet us right where we're at. Like a good heavenly Father, Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, help us to to position our hearts in that way, God. Help us to guard our hearts, God. And help us to recognize that when we don't have the power to do it ourselves, that you will do it for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.